Well, we're going to start a new series this morning to go several weeks, probably through Christmas, just uh, somewhere around that time frame I'm looking at, if we can um, try to rein it in there, because then in January, Mike's going to do a series uh, throughout January. So, and it's this one, this particular series is on us becoming church on mission, becoming the church on mission. And as we're going to see, this starts in the very beginning. This isn't something that we draw out and we're going to draw turn over to your New Testament and see that this is something that's just kind of a new thing. This is God's thing. This is what God is. God has been on mission. God's on mission, and he made us to be on mission from the very beginning. So we are going to start, if you do want to open your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 1. And don't... We're not going to start exegeting there and work our way through to Revelation, but that Rachel gave that laugh that, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Before we get started, let's seek God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we praise you for you are our God and we are your children. We praise you because you've called us to yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ, united us to him, and seated us with him in the heavenlies. Above every principality, power, dominion, and rule. We praise you, O Lord, that you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. That you've loved us, and you've cleansed us, and you've given us all these incredible gifts. We praise you, O Lord, for all you've done. And we ask and we look to you even now that you would, by the Spirit, work in us. Move right now, O Lord, I ask, that you would work and move in our hearts and our minds, that you would, by the Spirit, illumine us, convict us, show us your goodness, your glory, your purpose for us. Show us your mission and show us our own sin. Show us. Because if you open our eyes and we see, we will repent. So Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the issues that we have to deal with in our lives has to do with purpose and meaning. And the reason is because we often feel like what we're doing doesn't really have that much purpose and meaning. Have you ever been there? Feeling the, uh, the, it seems like the vanity of life. What is the purpose? What is the meaning? This just seems like some nasty uh, gerbil wheel that we spin around and around on. You know, it isn't un- uncommon for us to feel like we're just running, 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 and not going anywhere. We also realize that, heck, one day we're going to die. And once we die, it won't be long and my own grandchildren will forget me. Just I, I, I had this thought not too long ago. I don't even know the name of my great-grandparent. I know next to nothing about him. That's my great-grandparent. Never met the person. (laughs) We're quickly forgotten. And so these things in life, the toil of life, the shortness of life, 
and the fact that how quickly we're forgotten of life, have these things ever gripped you? And they grip you and they cause you to think, what is the point? Oh, Lord God. Even as a Christian, we can feel that we can feel this, the grind of life. And we could get up one day and wonder, what is this all for? What am I doing? What is this? I know myself, I have been there and questioned and wondered and, and just felt the, the, there can be emptiness in life because if, especially if you get off track, especially if your eyes get away from the ultimate purpose and your eyes get on the mundane and your eyes get on the activity of life sometimes and you, and you get caught there, you can begin to ask that question. What is the meaning and purpose? And can, you know, if this is true of Christians and if we can get in that space, how much more so of those who don't know God? Because once we go into the house of God, once we get into God's word, once God helps us to see purpose and meaning, once us, our God helps us to see him and helps us to see us and helps us to see the grand scheme of things, we get reoriented and we get purpose and meaning back and it starts to make sense. But where does an unbeliever go? Let me just tell you, they have it much worse. And how do I know? Well, we are living in the most medicated, depressed, sick, and obese time in our history. According to the Institute of Mental Health, in 2012, there were 16 million people clinically depressed in America. Did you hear that number? 16 million. 23, hear this number, 23.5 million people addicted to drugs and alcohol. 44,000 Americans take their life every year by suicide. And get this, much worse than that. There are 25 suicide attempts for everyone that is successful. That means there are 1.1 million suicide attempts each year. It's also estimated that 15.5 million adult Americans aren't just, they say, aren't just overweight, but morbidly obese, like they're beyond, in a, in a bad category. Now, just to give you how, an idea of how large these numbers are, I have a slide I want you to look at. Anybody recognize that stadium? Buckeye Stadium, Ohio State. Right there, you see approximately 110,000 people. Does that look like a lot of people? That's a lot of people. I looked at that and said, man, that's a lot of people. That's 110,000 people. Multiply that almost by 10, and that's how many people attempt to commit suicide each year. Just get some perspective, just to understand what, like, 1.1 million people. Imagine 160 of those stadiums, and you have a picture of how many people are clinically depressed. 160 of those. 230 of them, imagine 230 of those stadiums, and you have the number of people addicted to drugs and alcohol. And that's just in America. That is what it looks like to be without God and without hope in this world. 
And the reason is, we are designed by God to only have a sense of purpose and meaning when we have a meaningful mission in life. Think of it this way. What would give you more of a sense of purpose and meaning? Going to work, punching a clock, and then digging holes for no apparent reason? Or going into an office to finish working on the first known cure for cancer? I think the answer is obvious. Because working on a cure for cancer has a much greater mission and purpose than simply digging holes for no reason. The greater and more meaningful the mission, the greater and more meaningful the purpose and meaning in life. And the greater the mission that we have, the bigger it is, and the more meaning to it, it gives us meaning and purpose. And it works this way. This is the way we're designed because God made it this way. It's because of who he is and how he made us. Let's just, to see this, let's look, as I said, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. And we're here we will see that God made us to be on mission from the very beginning. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. There's the mission. He gave him dominion over everything that he has. And he says, he blessed them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. There is the mission God gave humanity. With a purpose of being, here we are, the expressed image of God over all the earth, and we are to take and turn it into a glorious garden city where the God's righteousness and glory would be established in all the earth. We, fee- we see the finished product in, in the end of Revelation. Very end of your Bible. The last scene is conquest. The last scene is consummation. The last scene is the glorious garden city where God and his people reign. This is the mission. This is, that's the end. That's, that's what we're, we're working towards. However, something happened, right? Here, here, we were designed this way to have this glorious mission. All the earth, you're to subdue it. You're to take and turn it into this glorious place. Righteousness to reign and rule and something happened right out of the gate. The mission, God's mission, ended up aborted by man because he fell into temptation. He fell by the temptation of the devil. And as a result, the devil gained dominion over man while man was subjected to him was also now subjected to sin and subjected to death. In addition to that, 
thorns and thistles, brokenness and darkness, and, and so much confusion would fill men. This would be a struggle. It would be a toil. And just so we understand here, it, it doesn't say that, that Satan in Genesis, you can go to Genesis 3 and read the account, it doesn't say that Satan gained control and dominion, but he does. He gained control and dominion. And how do we know this? Well, this is clearly and explicitly stated in Luke chapter 4. Just listen to Luke 4, 5 through 6, where Jesus, the second Adam, who was being tempted by the devil, not in a beautiful garden, but in a barren wilderness. And here's how it reads. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you, I will give all this authority and all this glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. Just bow down and worship me. And Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 you have it all wrong. No, he says, no, 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 you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Away from me, Satan. Jesus knows this is what he's coming for. He's coming to crush the serpent. So we know here, we, we realize that all authority and dominion over the earth, the God of this world, as the Bible talks about him, the devil, it was given to Satan while man was subject to him. We also know from even our own lives that so much of things in this world don't work for us, they work against us, don't they? You make this really nice garden, and what happens? Stinking weeds. Things that the dirt's not just right. The seeds don't always work. You gotta fight and you gotta toil and you gotta sweat and you gotta go for it. Otherwise, it's gonna beat you. But unless you're willing to beat it, it'll beat you, it seems like. So this is how we advance. This is how we move forward. And then what we find out from the very beginning, instead of righteousness advancing and filling the earth, sin advances and fills the earth. Along with pain, along with toil, along with brokenness. These are the common experiences. But however, in saying this, all was not lost. It's not like everything was destroyed, wrecked, it's over, we're doomed to destruction. Even in the midst of that, God spoke. God spoke words of hope and promise. He promised to remedy the situation through a son who would be born of a woman. Here's how the promise reads in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you, meaning the devil, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So God's people, the ones who believed his word, knew that one day God's promised son would come and crush Satan under his feet, bringing liberation and salvation to humanity while restoring man's calling and mission on the earth. You know, the picture of the son with his foot on the serpent's head, this is kind of how you're supposed to see it. Imagine the son with his, with his knee bowed, bent like this, and under his foot was the serpent. This is the image you're supposed to see, a, a 
crushed and bruised head and a bruised heel as he went bam on his head. That's how you're supposed to see it. That's what he's going to come and do. And this picture is actually seen throughout scripture in different places. Especially when you have a king, a dominant force that's been brought into subjection under your feet. Joshua did this to the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon in Joshua 10.24. He had all his commanders place their feet, five commanders, on top of their heads to show them that dominion and rule has been given to them, that these kings are now subject to them. David did this with Goliath. Both Joshua and David were Christ figures prominent Christ fingers in the Old Testament who foreshadowed what Jesus was going to do to Satan. Now, obviously, the people of God weren't just to wait for the promised son. Hey, I just want you to hang out here and just chill and and wait till he comes. No, they were to go to work. They were to get to work and they were to seek to build the kingdom of God. They still had a mission. They were still to go out and they were still to take dominion of all the earth. They were still to bring and advance righteousness. They were still to, to cultivate the garden city to, to the glory of God and for their own blessing. But it would be frustrating and near impossible until the sun came to deliver them. And that's what we see throughout. It's how near impossible and frustrating it was. And then we just, all we have are these little tiny remnants all the way till Noah. We've got like Enoch who walked with God and was not. And we've got Noah, and he's like the last man standing. And then God brings judgment on the earth. But God, we do finally see some traction gained when God calls Abraham to himself. And to Abraham, he gave a son of promise. And through him, he raised up a multitude that called on the name of the Lord. These people God named Israel. Which means, you know what Israel means? Israel means triumphant with God. However, before they could see how triumphant they would be with God, they fell under the oppression of Egypt. They were subjected to this oppression. But God wasn't done with them. God put his people Israel on mission. God was still going to complete the mission. God was still calling his people to on mission. I still have a mission. God called his people out of Israel, I'm sorry, out of, out of his people Israel, out of Egypt, and he commissioned them to go and conquer the land of Canaan, which was the land of promise, to receive their inheritance. It was in the promised land of Canaan that they were to establish his kingdom on the earth. However, this almost failed several times because of their rebellion and unbelief against God. They don't like God's mission. God's people have a problem with God's mission. Because when God calls you on mission, he's usually calling you to do something that's way bigger than you. It's God-sized. They feared the people of the land and they grumbled against God because they saw with, with their eyes what seemed impossible all the time. God led them to situations where when they looked and they saw a sea before them. What is that? Impossibility. You walk into a desert where there's no food. What is that? Impossibility. There's no rain, impossibility. God kept leading them and calling them to take even on a land of giants where there's so many more of them. They're like grasshoppers. They're everywhere. Not only that, they're giants in the land. Impossible, 
Impossible. Impossible. God says, I've called you. Go. Thankfully, Moses kept interceding for these buffoons. And God kept being merciful and forgiving them. But Moses also had his own struggles. And because of his sin, he wasn't able to enter the promised land. But Joshua was raised up, and under him Israel went into the land following the Lord and seeing conquest. They did commit a couple of grievous sins, as we know, along the way, but they repented and got back on the mission again. God gave a leader like Joshua and said, you need to go into the land. But when God calls them to go into the land, he calls them to this big, daunting task. That's why I love Joshua 1.9, where he says, I have commanded you to go, therefore do not be afraid or frightened, because I am with you, and I go with you, and I go before you. The God of heaven and earth is with you, so go. And Joshua was bold, and he went. You gotta, you gotta imagine, like, this is, this is scary. When God calls his people on mission, there's a sense of fear about it. He's calling you to some grand mission, some conquest that's huge. It's bigger than you. It's, it seems impossible. How are we gonna do this? With God, all things are possible. You gotta be a little bit crazy, like Joshua, who would actually believe him. They pressed against the enemy in faith. They did some crazy things in Jericho. They went through the land and they they conquered giants. They conquered kings. They conquered cities. And God was with them in power. And so as long as they were under Joshua, so long as Joshua led them, they maintained their mission and they were quite successful because of it. They went forward trusting God and God showed up on their behalf. However, this didn't last after Joshua's death. Soon afterwards, God's people failed to remain on mission. This is how it always works. God has given a mission for the beginning. God's people fail to, to, to stay on this mission. God usually has to rise up a leader. People repent and it's, it's all messy, but God's constantly pushing his people in this direction. But if, but they fail. Like, like Joshua dies and soon afterwards, this is what we find out. Here's how it reads in Joshua chapter, sorry, Judges chapter 1, 27 through 36. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen and its villages, and Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal. So the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Ahalab, or of Akzib, or of Hilbah, or of Ifafik. You guys are familiar with all these places, right? Or of Rehob. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites. The inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. He keeps saying this. They did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land. 
Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Herez, in Ahijalon, and in Sha'ablim, but the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. And the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akarib, from Shelah, and upward. <laughs> Oof. Aren't you glad you didn't read this, Peter? <laughs> I did that to you one time, remember? <laughs> so what we see here is that Israel failed to complete the mission. The refrain throughout is they did not drive them out. 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 They aborted the mission. They focused on, they pulled back, settled into the land, and started focusing on their own stuff, their own homes, their own yards, their own routines. Simply enjoying the fatness of the land, they got off the mission of God and got onto the mission of settling in. And as a result, here's what happens in Judges 2, 1 through 3. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacham, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become as thorns in your sides and their God shall be a snare to you. And then here's what happened in verses 11 through 15. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned. And as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Why is this? Why? Because Israel failed to complete the mission. Israel settled down in the land, left, didn't, didn't try to push out the enemy at all, and before long, they begin to serve the gods of the peoples around them. And this is what happens when God's people start drifting away from the call and mission of God. They settle in, they start their own thing, they, they end up getting really kind of comfortable with all the sins and the cultural things around them, and, they, and then they, they find themselves drifting and slipping, and next thing you know, they, they think and talk and act and say things just like the people around them. Next thing you know, it's like there's not much difference except that you come here on Sunday and they stay home on Sunday. But Monday to, Monday to Saturday, it's not much different. 
You do your thing, they do theirs, and sometimes you do things together, and the things you do together are sometimes shameful. And what we find out in this situation is that God no longer is fighting for them, but fighting against them. And they wonder what's wrong. They wonder why, God, where are you? What happened? Do you realize that we are God's people? And we have been called on mission by God as well? God has already spoken. He has declared. He's uttered the words, we are on mission. Now, I don't think it's, it takes much to realize that Jesus, what he declares to his church before he ascends to the Father, is as clear as it gets in Matthew 28, when he says, yes, <laughs> all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And what, he, what does he do? He puts the church on mission. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. So, the land of Canaan and Joshua and all that, that was a mere picture and foreshadow of what was to come. That was merely physical. What we do is spiritual. What we do has way more power. The things unseen are way more powerful than the things seen. The things seen are temporal. The things unseen are eternal. And so we're called a mission, mission by God. And here's what's, here's what's amazing about it. He almost says the exact same thing that God said to Joshua when he sent him in the promised land. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus said to the church. I am with you. Be strong and of good courage. Why? Because I'm with you. Our mission is to go and disciple the nations. And we need to be just as committed to the mission of God and zealous to perform His will as Israel was called on their mission in the Old Covenant. Do you realize that in the New Covenant, we don't get a free pass from being on mission because we're saved by grace through faith? As if we think that's all that it's about. That's it. It's actually precisely because we're saved by grace through faith. And we have such a great salvation that we're to go to the nations. The nations in darkness. The nations in sin. The nations under the realm and rule of Satan. The nation that has no, has lost its purpose, lost its meaning, who gropes around in darkness. May God give us eyes to see our neighbors rightly. Don't see the outward smiling face. See what's really going on. They're depressed. They're medicated. They're addicted. They're lost. They're in darkness. They have no purpose or meaning in their lives. Jesus says, if you watch what he does, he, he comes in and he goes right away. He goes out into the world and into their lives, bringing the kingdom of God. This is the mission. And we're going to see, as we go through this series, we're going to unfold this piece by piece, bit by bit, and we're going to see that it is absolutely clear that we are the people of God called on mission. And so many times, the church wonders where the power of God is. Wonders, why, oh God, why does it seem like God is so absent? Why does it seem like we're being dominated by the culture? Why does it seem like we're failing and struggling? Why does it feel like we're losing? Why does it seem like God isn't with us? Why does it seem like God isn't for us? Why is it, why, God, why? Why are Christians spinning around lost without meaning and purpose? Just go back to Judges and read again. You don't have to wonder too long. 
my people who are called by my name are no longer obeying my word. Jesus has declared the mission has been given, and we so quickly and easily get off mission and get caught up in our own thing. Caught up doing our own thing, and we wonder where God is at. You know, here's the other thing about it. Do you realize that the mission we're called to will feel and seem impossible and too big for us? I will feel and seem too small and insignificant. Me, oh God? How how could I? Look around you. Look around. The the kingdom of God is to come to the, the Seattle area, which is largely pagan. And God, what does he tell you? He says, go. But what? I mean, go. What do I say? What do I do? What do I go for? Lo, I am with you. I am with you. Go to your neighbor. Go to the person across the street. Go to your coworker. There should be a sense of going and reaching and seeking and praying and looking for the kingdom of God to advance. And we're going to cover this stuff as we move along. But I want us to understand something here. I want us to understand that God has given us a mission, and if you abort the mission, and you fail on the mission, and you abandon the mission, and you turn away from the mission, you're going to find yourselves wandering around in trouble, absorbed in the culture, confused, without meaning, without purpose, banging around, wondering, God, where are you at? God, why don't you listen to me? God, what's happening? Aren't we the people of God? God, where are you? Hello? Where are you, O oh God? Why does it seem like you're against me? Why does it seem like you're against your church? Why does it seem like you're not for us? Why does it seem like we're shrinking and being dominated? Why does it seem like the culture is swarming in and taking over? Hello. You've abandoned my mission. You're no longer obeying my word. You're not doing what I've called you to do. So I want us to, I want us to see that This isn't something we decide whether we do or not, or, hmm, let's see, you know, should we be on mission? Should we become a church on mission? Well, I don't know. I kind of like this church the way it is. I like doing the thing we're doing. This is great. That's not an option. God will be against you, not for you. God, bless me. Oh, Lord, I've asked for your blessing a thousand times, and there's nothing. All I want is your blessing. And the thing is, we don't often like to do what's uncomfortable. We don't like the mission. You know why we don't like the mission of God? Woo! It's scary. I don't like the mission of God because I'm going into the wilderness, it feels like. Oh, try to step out towards people, and what happens? You become fearful. And when you become fearful, what do you do? You retreat. So many of us run away because we're scared. Israel got scared too. They preferred to settle in, settle down, and start planting their gardens as well. They, they like to enjoy the fatness of the land as well. They, they enjoyed it, and they, and, and they were comfortable, and they like comfortable. I tell you, when you're pressing forward and you're, you're on mission with God, it's a little hairy, it's a little scary. You re- You require God to go before you. You require God to be with you. And you need to hear the words that God spoke to Joshua. Be of good courage. Be strong. Do not fear. Why? I'm with you. What did Jesus tell you? Though I am with you. 
even to the end of the age. I'm with you. Go, be strong, courageous. He even knows, and here, how is he with us? How is that going to happen? He says, well, before you get going, I want you to go in the upper room and I want you to wait. And power will come from on high. And I'll give you my spirit. And my spirit will dwell in you. And my spirit will be all that you need. So we have to go in faith, believing. We can't sit here, well, I'm waiting to experience that feeling of like, when I get the spirit, I'll have this rushing feeling of power, and then I'll be able to go. No, you actually need to go in faith, knowing and understanding you have the spirit. It's his word has been declared. It's, it's done. He said that I've poured, he has poured out the spirit. The church has the spirit. You have what you need. Now go. And why should we go? Because God made us to be on mission. God called us to be on mission. And there's no other option. If we want him with us, for us, working through us, we gotta go. If we want his absence, if we want to be against us, just stay and settle in and do your own thing. May God have mercy on all of us to really this get into our hearts and our minds and that we hunger and thirst for his kingdom to advance, to go wherever we're at for his kingdom to go. Begin praying, begin reaching out, reaching out and going. May God have mercy on us. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for what you've called us to. We thank you that you've, you've spoken, you've declared, your word has gone forth. And oh Lord, I ask that you would help us to see and understand and to know and that we would by faith cling to and claim with absolute confidence what it is you've called us to. Oh, Lord, I pray for these people. I pray for this church, and I pray that we would become a church on mission, that we would get on mission, and we would desperately begin praying, begin reaching, and begin going. Oh, Lord, fill our hearts with this passion for your mission that you've called us on. In Jesus' name, amen.